Welcome to the Adventure Church Podcast. We're excited you're here, and we hope today's message encourages you, builds your faith, and brings you hope for the future. May God bless you as you listen in to today's message. Well, somebody say amen. If you have not figured out who the actors were, that was Pastor Carolyn and uh, Tori. Amen. Tori, the operator. Operator, information. Give me Jesus on the line. Right, Pastor Carolyn? Amen. But anyways, hey, you, if you notice, whenever you hear a siren, what is your first reaction when you hear a siren? What happens is all of a sudden you, it gets your attention, and all of a sudden you get anxious or you get nervous because the thought of a siren means maybe something tragic happened. Whether it be a fire engine or an ambulance or a police car, all of a sudden your instincts go to an accident must have happened, someone who may have had a heart attack, or if you see a fire truck, maybe someone's house is on fire. And instantly, all of a sudden, when when we see that, we instantly want to stop and possibly pray. Or if you're anything like Cheryl and I, we want to turn around and follow it and see where it's going. Come on, how many know what I'm talking about, right? And so uh, a lot of times it makes us react. You know, when we live right across the street from the fire department, and I'm telling you, we can be sound asleep in bed, and at 2 o'clock in the morning we get woke up. Because the sirens are going off. And it never fails. I, I'd love to go and talk to those guys because they do one siren, and then they do another one, and it's like 3 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, rock. And I mean, they're just boom, 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 right? And by the time they get done, man, you try to go back to sleep after you hear these ambulance or the fire department going off, right? But it alerts you, and it gets your attention, and it makes you trigger that something must be wrong. The other day, Cheryl and I were driving through Webster, and as we were driving through Webster, a fire truck went flying by us. And I'm going to tell you, Cheryl instantly said, oh, no. And I said, what's the matter? Said, what do you mean, oh, no? She said, I wonder if they're going out to our cabin. And I, I'm like, what do you mean if they're going out to our cabin? Well, the reason why is the guy across the street, my cabin's on Treasure Island, and so the guy across the street from our cabin cleared his, out his, a lot, his lot, and he's getting ready to build a cabin there or whatever he's going to do there, but he cleared out his lot. But he not only, Greg, cleared out his lot, but he made this thing, as, you know how tall pine trees are, right? And he had this huge teepee of pine trees, and he lit it on fire. And I mean to tell you, it looked like an inferno. I mean to tell you, you could feel the heat from across the street. It was so big. And so Cheryl's instinct went to the fact that, oh, did that fire jump across the road and start our cabin on fire? And she got nervous. And a lot of times when we see fire engines or trucks or, or, or squad cars or ambulances, we get a sense of nervousness. When we hear sirens and see lights, it makes us pray and worry about the people who may be involved. How many of you know what I'm talking about? When our kids were growing up, we always instilled this in our kids. When all, whenever we seen an ambulance or a squad car or a fire truck, we would stop. And whether we were driving on vacation or wherever we were in the car, we would stop. And not stop literally, but stop our talking, our conversation, turn off the radio. And we would pray. And we'd say, God, touch those who may be in need or a situation in their life right now, whether it be an accident, whether it be a fire, whether it be somebody had a heart attack because of the ambulance, whatever the case, God, Man, Lord, we lift that situation up. How many know what I'm talking about? You do that? And instantly you do that, right? And so the other day when we were in Illinois with our grandkids, 
my, my wife and I, I was driving my daughter's van, and my daughter was at church, and so we were taking the grandkids around, and my two oldest granddaughters sit way in the back of the van in, the, in her caravan, and my youngest grandson, he sits in the middle seat, so you can definitely hear him. He's right in your ear. He talks like a talking machine, right? But all of a sudden, we're driving there in Illinois, and all of a sudden, an ambulance goes by. And all of a sudden, instinctively, my oldest granddaughter, Peyton, stop, stop. And I thought, what? You didn't mean stop. I almost already hit the brakes, right? And she said, Papa, Papa, we need to pray. And my heart melted because all of a sudden, my oldest granddaughter, Peyton, began to pray. Dear Jesus, touch those who may be in trouble right now. Heal those that need to be healed. And she just said, Amen. And we went about our business. But it melted my heart because, you know, what you sow is what you're going to reap. And what you invest in now is you're going to have a withdrawal later. So what we invested in our kids, our kids invested into my grandkids. And it was so cool to see that my granddaughter took it upon herself to pray for someone who was in a situation. You see, listen, the reason why we worry is because we worry about maybe the physical health and their well-being. How many know what I'm talking about? That's the first thing we worry about. I ho hope they're okay. I hope that they're fine. I hope that, man, this accident, that, man, that nobody got hurt. When I pulled up uh, at that site with Pastor Andrew, Pastor Andrew got rear-ended a couple months ago. He got rear-ended by a young lady. And, man, I pulled up on the site, and my first reaction was when I saw the trailer all mangled and Pastor Andrew's car turned in the wrong direction and his driver's side, or excuse me, his passenger side messed up. And then I saw the car that hit him off to my left in the ditch. And what I heard later on that she rolled it several times and it landed back on its wheels. My first reaction was when I pulled up to the site was, God, I pray that Pastor Andrew's okay. And, Lord, whoever this one that hit Pastor Andrew, I didn't know it was a lady at the time, is okay. See, it's instinctively in us to pray when we see tragedy and we see situations like that. It's instinctively in us to pray for their situations. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are were the self-righteous people that always were looking at themselves instead of the others around them. You know, I always say the greatest time you find joy in your life is Jesus first, others second, yourself third. And so here was Jesus. He's with the Pharisees, and it was all about me. Look at me, look at me, look at me. My importance, my status, my position of who I am as a Pharisee. I'm a leader. I'm a guide. I'm a spiritual guidance for people around me. So they're always puffing up their feathers, right? But Jesus now says this in Matthew chapter 9. As Jesus went from there, he saw a man named Matthew. Put your name there. Whenever I see a name there, you know what I love to do? I love to put my name there because it makes me become a part of the story. I always say when you read the word, what is it saying to you? How can you apply it to your life? And how can you help others with it? So I always put myself in the equation, what is it saying to me? How can I apply it to my life? And how can I help others with it? So when he says he saw a man named CJ, or your name, sitting at the tax collector's booth. After all, the tax collectors were like raid, man, they, they stayed away from people. The people stayed away from them because all they were doing, they were greedy and always looking for their money. And you know that when it, now right now is tax season and some of you have to pay taxes and you're like, mm, right. 
and you have to write that check out, and you're dreading to write the check out, and you're thinking, why am I giving my taxes to this messed up world? And he says, watch what he says. He said, follow me. Notice what Jesus said. He said, Matthew, CJ, put your name there, Thomas, follow me. So follow me. Notice what Jesus said. Jesus didn't stand behind you and, and prod you with a cattle prodder or push you or probe you. He was out in front, and he led by example. Everything that you learned, I don't know about you, but I learned how to shave by example. Some of you, Greg, your kids learned how to do the carpentry work by watching you and your example. You made Daniel the person that he is. You and Daniel are great framers and door hangers, but he learned that from you. Harlan, man, you are one of the greatest cabinet makers ever, but people see you and they learn it from you. And maybe you have a trait in your life that people learn from you. Randy, man, people learn it from Randy about how to build a cabin. It means building another prayer cabin and all these things. They learn it. And so Jesus says, follow me, follow me. And as you follow me, do what I do. That's what Jesus is saying. Do what I do because of what he says. He said, follow me, he told them, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. How many of you know that, you know what, Jesus wants us to go out into the highways, into the byways. And a lot of times what happens is that we're associating with people that maybe is not alike faith. But how are the people not of like faith going to hear Jesus or the word of Jesus if we are not amongst them? I have never seen, or I take that back, only one time I've ever seen a fish jump into my boat. I was fishing on Browns Lake with my brother-in-law, Paul. It's a true story. Only one time in all the time I've been fishing have I ever seen a fish jump in my boat. We were nighttime fishing, and we had taken the spotlights, and we were seeing where the fish were and then casting out where they were. And while we were doing that, man, it was pitch black other than our spotlight, and a fish literally jumped into our aluminum boat. And if you know a fish flopping around in an aluminum boat, it makes a lot of noise. And we're freaking out. What is it? And we couldn't see it. It was underneath the seat of the boat. But it jumped into our boat. But otherwise, listen, I have never seen a fish jump into our boat. And guess what? People are not going to jump into the church. you got to bring them in. you got to go to where they are. And here's the deal. Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men, and you go and become that hand and feet extended, and you do what I call you to do as you follow me. Then he goes and says, watch this. I love this next verse. He said, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors and sinners? Why does he do that? Why in the world does he associate with people of less fortune People are maybe down and out and discouraged because Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted and bind up their wounds. That's the whole mission of Jesus. He came to heal the brokenhearted and bind up their wounds. He came to reach and set the captive free. He came to the ones that needed him most. You see, listen, he goes on to say from there, Then watch, watch this, this is so cool. He says in verse 12, on hearing this, Jesus heard what they were saying. Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor. Who's the healthy? The healthy are the ones who already have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The ones who believe and have sacrificed their life, say, God, I surrender to you. I open my heart to you. Any man being Christ, he's a new creation. That's the healthy. 
Have you given your heart to Jesus? If you've given your heart to Jesus, guess what? You're healthy in the eyes of the Lord. God has set you free. The Bible says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you have done that, that makes you healthy, healthy with Christ. But then he goes on to say this. He said that the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. You ever think about that? When we think of sick, we think of the COVID-19 that's going on right now in our world. Man, people, people are now, and I please understand, don't get me wrong, there's, there's a lot of people that are paranoid Floyds. Whenever you got a sniffle, you got COVID? Come on, you know what I'm talking about, right? I'm not trying to make light of it. Tamara, you work, like, work with that. And any, any reaction that you have, it's because it's so sensitive right now that people got this idea that everybody around them is sick. And we're so sensitive to the sick people, Mary, that are going on around us. But what Jesus is talking about, he's not talking about sick physically. He's talking about, Rose, sick spiritually. Sick spiritually means that they're separated from God. There's a gap. There's that, 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 that relationship that they're separated from God, that there's no, uh, no connection with their relationship with the Lord, that there's no God in them, that they have no spiritual concept that there is a God. And that's what he's talking about, sick people. Do you know anybody like that? Then he goes on to say, he said, but go and leave, go and go and leave, learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. So what did Jesus do? When he opened up this verse, he said, do what? Follow me. So if Jesus says, follow me, where was Jesus at? Jesus, you follow Jesus into the marketplace. Why did Jesus go to the marketplace? To touch the sick. What is our role as believers? To follow Jesus into the marketplace and touch the sick. That's what God has called us to do. So God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to step into the marketplace, and I'm going to tell people about Jesus. That's our role as believers in Christ. That our role is that, God, I'm going to do that which you called me to do. Listen, the Pharisees were concerned about people of position, status, and authority that they had instead of sick or the lost souls. They were all looking at status, people of position, maybe of authority, people maybe of wealth and good looking and driving the right car or having the right clothes. They were looking at that instead of the heart. And the Bible says that man looks at the outward appearance but God looks at the heart. God don't care how you look on the outside. What he cares about is what you look like on the inside. You see, because out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth is going to speak. And if God lives there, God's going to come out of your mouth. So God doesn't care how we look, how we even act, and how you comb your hair. He looks at your heart. And so God says, listen, I'm concerned about the lost souls, not by what you have and what you don't have. You see, the way we get nervous about hearing the sirens and concerned about people's physical needs, we should feel that way for unbelievers and their spiritual health. Think about it. We get so concerned once we hear a siren, our spiritual antennas or our natural ears prop up, oh, something's happening. And instantly we want to pray, we want to move towards action, we want to follow them, we want to find out what's going on. But you know, all around us, everywhere you go, you know what? Sirens are going off. 
But just because you don't see the need or hear the siren, maybe physically, we don't do anything about it. And the sirens are people without Jesus. The sirens are people who need a spiritual touch in their life, who need a transformation that only Jesus can do. And that's why he said, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away, and behold, all things become new. But how can that happen if they have not heard? The Bible says in Romans 15, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But how can people hear if they have not heard? And how can they believe if they have not heard? And so our responsibility is to follow Jesus, step into the marketplace, and tell sinners about Jesus. But how can they hear if they have not heard? How can they believe if they have not heard? Think about this in your life. Who came to you in your marketplace and told you about Jesus? Think about that person that came to you and introduced Michael, you to Jesus. I know who it was for me. It was my brother-in-law. But if he wouldn't have told me about Jesus, I wonder where I'd be. As I look at my track record in life before I met Christ, I know that I'd probably be six feet under right now. But it was because of my brother-in-law Paul and my sister Gail and my sister Marlis that changed my life around. They opened their mouth and God filled it with the words to speak to me to receive Jesus. You see, our role as believers is not just sit down and be busy doing the work of the Lord and just being busy bodies. But we need to be busy doing work for the kingdom. The Bible says that the harvest is plentiful. But the workers are few. One of the saddest stories that I would never, man, remember was when my grandfather, he would always grow uh, oats and grain and did all that kind of stuff. He would grow all this. And I'll never forget in Blair, Wisconsin, where his farm was at. And he had 167 acres, that, and not all of it was tillable because it was mountains and a lot of trees. But I think he tilled probably 85, maybe 90 uh, acres that he had on his farm. And the majority of what he tilled was grain or oats. And I'll never forget, man, it, man, we had a beautiful field. It's just golden brown, ready for harvest. And I'm not kidding you, man. All of a sudden, a storm just came through. I'll never forget this. My grandfather, man, was worried, man. The winds were man, coming in. The hail came. The wind blew. The rain was just gushing down. And you know what my grandfather's fear was? I lost my crop. So after the storm was over, my grandfather and I, we walked out to the field, and I'll never forget this. Molly, I'll never forget this. My grandfather stood at the edge of that field. My grandfather at that time was 70-some years old. He died at 96. And he stood at that field, and he cried. Because down the, the trough of, or the gutter of those fields, from the rain, was heads of grain floating towards the edge of the field. And my grandfather cried because he lost the harvest. And in our lives, folks, listen, the harvest in what Jesus is referring to is not the grain or the corn or the oats or the soybeans or this or that. He's talking about the fields of individuals that don't know Jesus. He's talking about those who are dying and going off a cliff and those who are, man, rescued into hell. And Man, he's talking about those type of people. And he says, God, we need 
to be harvesters. I love this. Doctors take care of the physical needs, but Jesus takes care of the soul and the spiritual needs. That Jesus transforms us inward. You see, doctors do an outward thing. God does an inward thing. He changes us. I love this. Did you know that of all Jesus' parables, all of his parables, you love to read his parables, why does Jesus speak in parables in the first place? People always ask me that. Why does Jesus people speak in parables? It's because he wants you to think about what he's saying. If it's just like regular English and just regular reading a book, it would just maybe just pass by us and go in one ear and out the other. But Jesus speaks in parables that you think it through by what he's saying. So, 80% of his parables of them had a marketplace context. So in other words, Jesus didn't sit on his blessed assurance in the synagogue. Even though he went to pray three times a day, morning, noon, and night, he still did not sit on his blessed assurance. He was active in the marketplace where the people were dying. Because he saw their spiritual concern or spiritual need more so than their physical need. You see, listen to this. I love this. Almost all of Jesus' public appearances recorded in the Bible were in the marketplace. Read it for yourself. Everywhere Jesus went, he made himself known. Because you know why? He had the answer that can transform lives. You know what you have? You have the answer that can transform lives. Not anything you do, but what he does through you. Do you know that every one of you are a farmer? You may not drive a tractor. You may not have a plow. You may not have a disc. But every one of us are a farmer. The Bible says that you plant the seed and God makes it grow. The seed is what? The word. When you plant the seed, God makes it grow. That's why he said train up a child in the way they should go. And when they are old, they won't depart from it. You as parents, you plant seeds in your kids. And when they are old, they won't depart from the word of God that you plant in them. But in the world, everywhere you go, you're a seed planter. And if you're like anything like a farmer, you don't want to see your, your seed become dwarf. You want to see your seed produce. And so when you sow seed, the seed of the word that God loves you, God cares about you, God knows your situation, that is seed planting. The other day, Harlan will tell you this, I, I was with a pastor, and this pastor called me up, and he was really broken. He was really, really broken. And uh, he called me up and said, Pastor CJ, I need, I need to get together with you. And I just really need a man encouragement and tell me what you're doing and how I can get back on track. So we went to this place and at this establishment, I won't name where. And uh, we went to this establishment, and he just man, poured out his heart. And I was able to deposit in his life. I was really just able to deposit and really encourage him and, man, this the whole works. But as I was just leaving, it was so cool, Mom. It was so cool. Uh, I got a chance to minister to this individual. And I was walking out the door, minding my own business. I kid you not. And Ethan, all of a sudden, the Lord said, you need to speak to her. So I stopped and I said to this young lady, I said, young lady, I don't know if you know who I am. She said, yeah, I know who you are. <laughs> yeah. I got a feeling you know. Yeah. Right. And you know what happened? I began, I kid you not, I began to prophesy over her and speak into her life. Bill, I, I just, you know, God says, you open the mouth and I'll fill it. He used a donkey, he can use us, right? And I just began to be obedient to what God told me to say. And Christina, 
before you know it, she's crying. She's just bawling. And I mean to tell you, and the pastor is about five feet from me. And I, he's, she's just crying, and I'm praying with her. Finally, I took her and grabbed her on the side and prayed with her right there in this establishment. We walked out of there, that place. It got into my truck. He put on a seat belt. He looked over at me as I was in the driver's seat, and he started to cry. This is the pastor, mind you. And he came here and helped paint then <laughs> after we got done. My point is, listen, the harvest is everywhere you go. You're a seed planter. And if we have the concern for people around us like we do when we see an ambulance, can you imagine what we could do to this world? Michael Jackson, maybe you don't like him, but he had some meaning in his songs. Save the world, make this a better place for you and for me and the entire human race. There's some meaning behind that. Save the world. One by one. One by one. We touch the world. I love this. We need to be marketplace believers, light givers, and hope shakers. It's easy to believe with others of like faith, the healthy, but what about the sick? When my mother came down with cancer, uh, I'll never forget this. It was a sad moment. I was pastoring in Colorado, and I was unable to be with my mother. I saw her prior to her passing because we were in a building program, and I couldn't leave the church at that time. So my wife went to be with my mom. And my wife was her caretaker for 21 days. My wife, my mother was on oxygen. Man, she lost her oxygen one day because her kitty cat bit a hole in her oxygen tube and wasn't getting, wasn't getting the air, and my wife was able to fix that. But in caretaking, it's not easy. Maybe some of you are caretakers. It's not easy. You have to wash clothes, feed them, bathe them all the other essential things, make sure they're up in time, take their medicine. My wife did this for 21 days. And finally, on the 21 days, my mother passed. But the day before she passed, on day 20, my mother, less than 100 pounds, weak and frail and fragile, leans over and grabs my wife. I wish she was here. She'll tell you the story. Reaches over and tells my, my wife. At this time, she didn't call her Cheryl. She didn't call her daughter-in-law. She called her daughter. And you know what my, my mom said to my wife on her 20th day prior to her passing? She said, thank you for taking care of me. The next day, she passed. My point is, you never know the frailty of the person around you. You never know when the time of the hour when Jesus could come where they can walk in front of a car and get hit. You never know when that day could be when Jesus would come and take you or them without Christ. But being a caretaker is not easy. You see, winning somebody to the Lord is easy. The hard part is filleting them after you win them to the Lord. 
not easy. You see, listen, the fear of hearing sirens and seeing an ambulance is that someone might have died. That's our first thing. Ecclesiastes, he talks there, and I love this verse of Scripture. There's a time of everything. Ecclesiastes, watch what he says. There's a time for everything. How I many you know it's time for everything? Some of you can relate to that. I'm so glad that I live in Wisconsin. My son who just moved to Arizona, they have one season. It's hot. He called me yesterday and said, Dad, it's 86 degrees. I said, thank you, Jesus, 43 here. But you know what? I love Wisconsin. I love Minnesota. I love Iowa. You know why? Because we just don't have one season. We got winter, spring, summer, or fall. All you have to do is call, and I'll be there. Yes, I will. You got a friend. Okay, yeah, you know that. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? I like that because there's four seasons. And in our lives, there's always going to be a season. You wish there would always be abundance. You wish there wouldn't be no fall. You wish there wouldn't be no storms. But you're going to have that in your life. And that's why he's saying there's a time for everything. Storms, winter, spring, summer, fall. And a season for every activity under the sun. I want you to think about that. A season for every activity under the sun. Then he goes like this. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. So when I thought of these verses, and it's on your notes, you have your notes but when I thought of these verses, I compiled this and put this together. And this is my version of that verse. A time to be born, a time to live. A time to live, a time to die. Watch this. A time to die and a place to go. Did you get that? A place to go and a place to live. Ooh, did you get that? A time to die, a time to live, and a place to go. So what do you mean by that, Pastor? You see, when we die physically, we are done here on earth. But where we go after that is up to you. It's up to you where you go after that. I know where I'm going. I'm going up. I'm going up with the Lord. Because you know why? I have that assurance in my heart. Because I know Jesus. So where, O oh, death, is thy victory? Where, O oh, death, is thy sting? Death has been swallowed up. It has no sting. It has no victory over my life. Because if I die here, I know where I'm going. Right? But what about the unbeliever? You see, Jesus' concern for the, us is where we are, will spend eternity or everlasting life. Eternity means there's no amen. There's no period to life. It continues on. Average life, 76 years old. After 76 years old, where are you going to spend eternity? Eternity means everlasting, no end, no period in sight. You see, when life here on earth is over, there's only two choices in which we and the unbeliever will go. Either heaven or hell. Ooh, somebody's stepping on my bunions. You see, everybody likes the word heaven. 
But the reality of it is there's also a hell. And when I say the word, that word hell, some of you, the hair on the back of you right now is standing up because it frightens you. It's not a good word. It makes you think. It paralyzes you. It, man, makes you get angry. Because let me just say this to you. Hell is a reality. We're either going to spend it in heaven or we're going to spend it in hell. But I choose to spend it in heaven. Look at this. If you love and serve Jesus, your last breath here on earth will be your first breath in heaven. Think about that. How cool that's going to be. There it is. There it is. Man, can you imagine that? Enter into the place I prepared for you, right? But look at the tragedy of this. The unbeliever. Their last breath here on earth will be their first breath in hell. Why is there such an urgency for touching the lost? Because their destiny will be eternity in hell. And hell means a total separation from God. And that's why there's such a need or an urgency to touch the unbeliever. You know, if you read from Genesis to Revelation, it doesn't take anybody to be a rocket scientist to see that God's return is drawing closer sooner and sooner than you think. When I became a Christian, that was the big trend back when I first became a Christian. It got to a point that scared me out of it. You know, Jude says, in Jude 20, it says, scare or snatch them out of hell. It says that in the verse. You can look it for yourself. It sounds pretty hard, but back when I first became a Christian, you probably remember, they would pound on the pulpit, Jesus is coming. You don't get right, you're going to get left. You don't get right, you're going to get left. You're going to burn in eternity. You're going to be in hell. Woo, I'm coming. I'm a, man, it scared me. I was a kid, 18 and a half years old. I'm coming, Lord. Yeah, whatever I got to do. How many know what I'm talking about? Come on, you know what I'm talking about, right? It scared it out of you. But then you know what? Through the ages of time, it just became numb to me. That, oh, yeah, we've heard this before. Jesus is coming. And we as believers have kind of put that in the back burner. And we kind of just put it out of sight, out of mind. I don't need to worry about that. But now the time is pointing to that. And you know your pastor, I don't speak about this a lot because I don't want to put doom and gloom. But I see the books are starting to... They're starting to open up. And the reality of Jesus returning is getting closer and closer every day, every moment, every second. And that we need to be consciously aware of our condition and our relationship with God, but also with others that are in our circle, that are in our friendship, that are in our family, that are in our associations, in our network, whatever it may be, we need to be aware of their condition of who they are and where they are with Christ because we don't want to see them burn. We don't want to see them left behind. We don't want to see them go through torment, as it says, weeping and gnashing of teeth in eternal fire and separation from God. We get concerned about the needs of the 
fire engines and the alarms going off on the squad cars and, and the ambulances and we're concerned about their physical needs. Here are our physical needs are left for 76 years, but what about eternity? We need to rise up and say, God, you see in 1 Corinthians, i got to move, 1 Corinthians 2.9, he says, however, it is written, what no eye has seen and what no eye ever heard and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. Wow. That's you. That's you. He's prepared. Man, when I do funerals, I do this one, John 14. I love this verse because it brings hope whenever you're in a funeral. I always say I got them where I want them. Now I'm going to get them. Man, at funerals, I love preaching the salvation message because they're ripe and primed to get their hearts to Jesus. Do not let your hearts be troubled. In other words, be afraid, fearful, concerned, worried, bothered, upset. Because if you know me, he says this, you believe in God. Believe also in me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. My Father's house has many rooms. And if it were not so, would I have not told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Whoo! Harlan! He's prepared a place. Michael! He's preparing a place. Every day, he's there building your mansion. I remember second chapter of Acts, the music group. I got a mansion builder. He ain't through with me yet. With me yet. He's building. Tamar, he's building. Rose, he's building. He's preparing for when that day comes. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You may know the place where, where I am going. Where is that place? Places with heaven. That place is with the Lord that God is preparing your mansion. You see, listen, heaven is more spectacular than you can imagine. The foundation is built with 12 layers of precious stone. It has streets of fine spun gold, a river of life, mansions created by the architect of ages. Your name is on the door instead of the address. That's my house. That's my place. I, I earned that. That's my reward. God, where moth and thieves can't break in and steal, that's my house. My sister-in-law, Kathy, just bought a house. Man, I'm telling you, first house, man, she's ecstatic. We went to see her, man, she's ecstatic about buying her house. She's, and I looked at her and said, Kathy, wait till you see your mansion in heaven. She said, I can't wait. Listen, in Revelations 21, and I'm, I'm going to blow through this. This is John the Revelator. John the Revelator is talking here. And if you know anything about John the Revelator, he wrote Revelations, obviously. And he was boiled. He was persecuted. He went through a lot of stuff, boiled in water, all these things. And this is what he said. In his persecution, his dream, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming up, coming down, up from heaven, from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. That's you. That's me. He's coming. Closer, 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 
closer. I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Coming. Now watch this. This is so amazing. I can hear John or God saying to John, come up. It's time. I can hear God saying to us believers, come up. It's time. When John the Revelator saw the heavens open up, God's yelling down from heaven, John, it's time. God has prepared his mansion. God has prepared his house. God has prepared the streets of gold. And John was caught up in the air with Jesus. And Jesus comes to take the unbeliever as well as the believer. But the unbeliever, how can they receive? And how can they come if they have not heard? God says it's time that we do our thing. You see, heaven has mentioned 54 of the 66 books in the Bible. 54. In the book of Matthew alone, Jesus mentions heaven 70 times. If heaven is not real, then the Bible is a liar. I'm going to move on. You don't have to turn to Acts. Heaven is a real place. Hell is a real place. And our mission is to prevent the sick from going to hell. That's our mission. Heaven is a place of reunion for those who believe, heard, and experienced the life of Christ. But watch this. Some of you, your reunion might not be complete because the sick family member or the friend did not hear it and make it. I'll say it. We got a mission. Why are we going to two services? It's not to grow a big church and say, look at me, Sandra D. We're growing, going to two service. Already first service packed out. Today we're half full in here. Why are we doing it? Because we're touching lives and we're rescuing 911 for those going to hell. Listen, it's your, our job to rescue those who are sick and lost in our community, marketplace, and jobs in our world. Look at this. There will be no more funeral homes in heaven. Hallelujah. There will be no more hospitals in heaven. There will be no addiction centers. There will be no more cancer. There will be no more drug problems and no more injustice. Heaven is where we're going. But what about your friend, your neighbor, your co-worker, your family member. God is a jealous God only in one area. God is a jealous God only in one area, and that is that none shall perish. Otherwise, he has it all. The gold and the silver is his. He owns a thousand cattle on a thousand hills. He can butcher one of those cows for you. He has it all, but he's only jealous about one thing losing a soul, that none, that none shall perish. Will you stand with me? My challenge today is I want you to touch one. Put somebody on your radar that needs to know Jesus. Next week, I want to encourage you. It's going to be a strong word. If you know somebody next week that doesn't know Jesus, next week is the service to bring them You can see what I'm going to go for the next point, heaven, right? I want to encourage you next week, bring one. 
Cheryl and I went to Branson, Missouri. We see the play, the drama, Noah and the Ark. And it was the most fascinating drama presentation. But you know what was fascinating about it? The animals didn't come alone. They came two by two. Don't you come alone. Don't you come alone. Bring somebody. Bring your friend. Bring your neighbor. Bring your brother. Bring your sister. Bring your mom. Bring your dad. Bring your aunt your uncle. And let's see this place made for God being touched and lives being changed. Then revival will hit. Father, in Jesus' name, I speak into the lives of those here today. Lord, we know our alternate destiny. For those who believe, God, we know our destiny is going to be with you in heaven for eternity where there's no sin, no sickness, no disease, nor poverty. There's going to be complete wholeness and health. We're going to get a new body. There's not going to be this fighting, this war, this bickering. There's going to be love. And I pray, God, that we won't be selfish and retain it all for ourselves, but we'll go out into the highways, into the byways, into the marketplace as you did. Eighty percent of your parables were in the marketplace where the sinners and tax collectors were. I pray that we will get a glimpse of that, that when we hear sirens, we'll see souls, we'll be moved upon touching hearts. In Jesus' name, while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I want to ask this question because I want to prevent you and rescue you. Maybe you today are in this place and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You say, Pastor, I don't know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I want to make sure my destiny and my place in heaven is going to be there. And I'm going to have my name on my house. And if you don't know that for sure, if you died today, do you know for certain you'd go to heaven? And if you stand before Jesus and you say, why should I let you into my kingdom? What are you going to say? You've been a good person. It's not by works you've been saved. It's by faith. You say, Pastor, I need to accept Jesus into my heart. If that's you, I want you, no one's looking around, just slip your hand up. You say, Pastor, I want to accept Jesus in my heart. Anyone today? Say, Pastor, I want to accept Jesus in my heart. I want to give my life to Jesus today. I want to give my life to Jesus. I'm going to count to three. Anyone? Say, Pastor, I want to give my life to Jesus. One, don't miss this call. If God's tugging on your heart, don't miss it. Just lift your hand up. Nobody's looking around. One, you say, Pastor, I see a hand. Yes. Anyone else? Say, Pastor, I want to, I want to give my heart to Jesus. Anyone else? Say, Pastor, I want to give my heart to Jesus. Anyone else? You may put them down. I want us to all say this. Two, I see another one. Thank you, young man. Anyone else? Say, Pastor, I want to give my heart to Jesus. Now let's all do this together. Will you pray this with me, all of us, in one accord? We're going to help these two that raised their hand to accept Jesus today as their Lord and Savior. Pray this together with me. Heavenly Father. Come into my heart. Forgive me of my wrongs, my faults, and my failures. Today, Lord, I make you Lord and Savior of my life. Become big in me, Lord. Give me the strength to serve you with all my heart. I love you, Jesus, and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. If this message has encouraged you in any way, please consider giving to Adventure Church to help continue this ministry. Giving is safe and easy through our website at www.adventurechurchsiren.com. Thank you for your generous support.